Life Jesus. Welcome into the Galloway Podcast, Episode 6. I'm your host, William Galloway, and today you are in for a treat as I had the opportunity to sit down with Alabama Athletics legend, Coach Hootie Ingram. Thank you to my good friend Cole Hunt for the opportunity to set up this interview. Cole is the grandson of Coach Ingram and allowed me the opportunity to meet him and just kind of pick his brain about a variety of topics uh, surrounding Alabama athletics, current and past. So thank you, Cole, for that. And I'm excited to share this with you guys as it really was a great interview. And Coach Ingram had a lot of things to say. This was pre-recorded. Um, and I really think you're going to enjoy what Coach Ingram has to say and kind of his thoughts on where Alabama stands in its current athletics and various teams Uh, Coach Ingram is very knowledgeable as he served as athletic director for multiple years and has always been around uh, Tuscaloosa and around college athletics in general. So without further ado, here is Coach Hootie Ingram on the Galloway Podcast. Here with Coach Ingram, former Alabama defensive back and punt returner on the 1952 through 1954 Alabama football teams. He was all SEC defensive back in 1952, coached at numerous schools, was athletic director at Florida State from 1981 through 1989, and the Alabama athletic director from 1989 through 1995. Coach Ingram, how are you? I'm doing great, doing great. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you. I can hear you. So uh, right now, if we're looking at Alabama football in the current state, uh, coming off a national championship loss, what did you see in the Alabama football team this year um, in, in their 14-1 and one season? Well, <clears throat> the whole uh, Saban era, as you know, has been just miraculous. And uh, my assessment of, of the football team this year and uh, college football in general right now is if the People don't realize uh, that uh, everybody's got a reason why they lost the championship game. And people don't realize the tension and pressure and the mental part of the game with players that go through this. And the ones that are talking about extending the playoff is the most ridiculous thing that could ever be done. Uh, We're far as the number of games and the things we play now, uh, we've, I think, I know we've extended it far enough, but maybe too far. Uh, and, and I think the uh, mental fatigue just set, on, set in on a team that had been uh, under pressure for every game for two years. Extreme pressure. And uh, you can play better when you're physically beat up than you can when you're mentally beat up. Right. My opinion. And uh, so it's, it's no surprise, but uh, you look at the situation, uh, Alabama played Oklahoma, which is a challenging team, and uh, it had to really go at it to play, use up a lot of energy, then Clemson played a, a team that they had beaten in the first quarter. And no pressure, no tension, uh, could rest players and this, that, and the other. And, uh, and Alabama, you look at uh, the seasons of Alabama through the years, any, any team. In our case, we play LSU one week and they got a great team that we beat them pretty good. And then the next week we play Mississippi State, who's average team, and we struggled to win. And uh, you can't play, especially late in the year, after you've been through a tough season. You can't play great teams back-to-back and, and be as good the second time. So that 
the state of the game, uh, I wish they'd quit talking about extending the playoff. And uh, but that's if they, they need to stop right where they are. They're, so with the current playoff system, the two teams in the championship end up playing uh, 15 games a year. You know, Alabama and Clemson. Alabama yeah. finished 14 and one. Clemson finished 15 and 0. You look at the number of games, and you talked about the fatigue, but also the records. Um, the re- records are being broken every year because teams are playing more and more games, and teams get the championships. And uh, running backs can increase their uh, number of carries in a the season. They can increase their yardage per season, which is different from back in the day when you were playing, when there were not nearly as many games because they're playing 15 games a year now. How does that compare um, to the schedule and the the tear? And the wear, the wear and tear that it takes on your body uh, versus, in, in you know, 10 to 12 games versus now 14 or 15 games. Well, you can throw statistics out the window. You know, you take uh, – we had a playoff game this year. It had seven, seven playoff sessions, and they count all of those statistics uh, for that team. And it helps that offensive team and hurts that defensive staff. Right. Uh, mentioned stats, that came to mind real quick. You, you shouldn't even count stats in an overtime game. You, you just throw them out the window. But uh, my, my comparison of that is uh, most, most real Alabama fans know who Don Hudson is. And uh, Don Hudson played 11 games maximum every year, and they didn't throw the ball that much in the 30s, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it took him till about three years before he retired to break Don Hudson's records. Wow. So that's the stats uh, are, are really something you can't go by. But uh, in, in my day of playing – we played uh, two teams that really threw the ball a lot, and a lot was about uh, 18 to 20 times a game. That's and incredible. We, uh, Georgia threw the ball a good bit because they they had Zeke Bukowski and uh, you know some some good receivers. Uh, a team like. Uh, SMU threw it a lot because of uh, Hayden Fry was coaching there. And uh, uh, in the Southeastern Conference, I guess uh, Georgia might have been the team that threw the ball more than anybody. But the records were on 10 games. They didn't even count the bowl game in the records. So it was it was a type thing that uh, the game is drastically different, different formations, uh, uh, virtually no imagination, same you know formation you play, and uh, and of course athletes now are much better. You know, it's more speed. Uh, nutrition situation and exercise and uh, strength training. They're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster, and it's just a different game altogether. Uh, one way to describe it, we didn't, when I played, we didn't use face masks. So you can, you can see it could Good be heavens, you think about a hit today couldn't, couldn't and not using a face mask. We, we we tackle in that day like uh, the the rules are trying to get them back to tackle that way again. You know, shoulder right. tackles and uh, not using the head and, and so forth. But uh, the only way to completely do this take the face mask off, and then we'd uh, we wouldn't have near the we might have a lot of ugly faces, right. but we would have. The brain problems. <laughs> no more brain problems. <laughs> We're here with Coach Hootie Ingram on the Galloway Podcast. Coach, uh, talking about the physicality of the game, the targeting has been such uh, a hot topic. Um, this past season and multiple seasons beforehand, 
Um, but there's there's such a fine line between what is and what isn't targeting in the college football game. How would you classify um, the progression of targeting and the aggressiveness that officials use to either call it or don't call it? Well, I think it's pretty well defined right now. And uh, the only thing wrong with the targeting rule is uh, everybody complains about it when their guy gets called for targeting. Right. But uh, I think I can this year as the season progresses, I can see an effect that is the rule has been very successful. Uh, I think uh, coaches uh, they they've been to the point where uh, usually your most aggressive player is somebody they don't want to lose. And uh, I notice in different I, I see Alabama practice a good bit and several high schools and so forth, but uh, I think the coaches are putting an emphasis in practice on changing your technique of, uh, of, of tackling people and so forth, and I think it's it's helped the game. I know you're going to lose a key player sometime, and everybody starts fussing about the rule in, but uh, I think the way they got the rule right now is, is – uh, it's pretty darn good. You look at the targeting rule, and uh, one instance that stands out, just us, us being here in Tuscaloosa, uh, was the Devin White call on targeting when he missed the first half against Alabama because of the targeting um, in the previous game this year. And then everybody thought, oh, that's such a game changer. Well, you look at, obviously, Devin White was, was an incredible linebacker at LSU, but one thing that I kept saying was, but when Devin White gets back in the game, unless he has, you know, four pick sixes, he's not going to help LSU score any offense. And so his play on defense, you know, sure, he helped out a little bit in the second half when he played against Alabama, but he didn't score any points. You know, that LSU in that whole, in that whole game, um, they were complaining, you know, that they didn't have Devin White in the first half, but he couldn't help him score. Anyways, the, the targeting has – progressed um, in terms of the safety of the players, which is important, I believe, and it sounds like you believe as well. I want to ask you this. As a player in the 50s, did you ever envision the success um, of the Alabama football program that it has today? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because uh, the Alabama football, relatively speaking, the Alabama football program <clears throat> was just as good or better in the 1920s as it is right now. Right. Uh, you know, uh, With those all, trips out to the Rose Bowl. All of, all of a sudden, uh, Alabama didn't become a great athletic and football program. <clears throat> they became great when uh, with Dr. Denny. You know, you're familiar with Denny Chimes and right. Bryant-Denny Stadium and uh, Dr. Denny was president, and he wanted to have a good football team. And he hired Wallace Wade, who was one of the all-time great coaches. And uh, Alabama went to six or seven Rose Bowls <clears throat> during an era when there was no TV, there was no radio broadcast, and uh, nobody knew about different football teams like uh, – it is, but the trip from Tuscaloosa to Pasadena in a train, which they didn't fly right. on trips there, uh, it was <clears throat> about a three-day trip, and they would sidetrack the car and practice at different places along the way, and uh, and that that really took Southern football across the nation, and. Uh, I, I give uh, everybody the Southeastern Conference, they all want to beat Alabama. And uh, Alabama technically made the Southeastern Conference along with making their own tradition by going to the Rose Bowl and beating Southern Cal and Stanford and Washington and the other teams that they played. It was always against the South, uh, this Pac-10 uh, champion was the host team in the Rose Bowl in those days. <clears throat> there were only four bowls then. 
rolls, sugar, orange, and cotton. Four bowls. Four and bowls so compared to now eight, when you've got the... you got 32. 32 and... We had eight teams every year going to a bowl. So you had to be good to go. And, of course, Alabama has been to more bowls than any team in the NCAA. But uh, that was the basis of a tradition that it, even though you follow that up with Coach Thomas, who had the same percentage winning record as Coach Bryant had, within tenths of a point different. You had Wade and Thomas, and then you had Coach Bryant, and you had Coach Saban. And uh, the tradition has always been there. And it, it, uh, if it hadn't been for Wade and Thomas, uh, I don't know where we'd have had Coach Saban or not. Right. Because that this wouldn't have been enough attraction to get him. But uh, he had <clears throat> he had sense enough to know and advice he got from different people of, of what what this school could do. And he's been great. He's wonderful but he's doing it in a great place absolutely and so uh and people forget or don't know how it started they think some people think it only was started by coach bryant some people think it's only started by coach saban and the older we get generations generations you forget you tend to forget because of the current success you tend to forget about the success in the 30s Wallace wade and, and frank thomas and right. they they were two of the two of the greatest uh, guys you'll ever want to know. Absolutely, we're talking with legendary Alabama football former player, assistant coach, and athletic director Hootie Ingram on the Galloway Podcast. Coach, what do you remember most about playing under Red Drew at Alabama? <clears throat> well, uh, Coach Drew was a brilliant offensive coach, and he was fortunate enough to have Coach Hank Crisp who was a brilliant defensive coach. Uh, and uh, Coach Drew was a great uh, innovator. He did little things offensively that other people didn't do. And uh, he was a, a good-natured type guy. We had, he was, a, in spring, he was very funny. I mean, he, <laughs> he humiliated you with a joke, you know. But uh, and Coach Chris was just the opposite. He was uh, always had a bad attitude, mad, mean, and tough, <laughs> and he did all the dirty work. And then right. Coach Drew would come by and hug you and say, "You're you're a great player," you know. Then Chris would come over and kick you in the fanny. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he he was a wonderful guy and, and uh, was was a great help to me in my coaching days and so forth. But uh, Hank Chris really was so far ahead of defensive schemes that uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, I tell you, quick, make, make as quick as I can. I was a high school coach and one of Coach Bryant's uh, assistants came to watch my team practice because I had two SEC type players on the team and uh, he watched his practice and after practice he came in my office and said uh, how, 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 you don't come to our meetings how would you get our defenses and I kind of laughed at him and I said well I've seen y'all practice son but it's not your defenses those are Hank Chris's defenses that Coach Bryant played under right and uh, he, he said, oh, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, I, I, I told him several of the stunts. And this and he said, how do you know all that? So I reached in my desk, and I pulled out my college playbook. And I said, this playbook was started in 1951. <laughs> and uh, you want to thumb through it, and I can show you all of your stunts. And, all right. your, and he liked to flip his lid, you know. Mm -hmm. I said, you think y'all try? Y'all think y'all invented that? And Coach Chris was teaching that, and and really he was probably the only coach uh, in the conference that uh, did the things that we did on defense. 
it's quite amazing how, how far ahead he was. A lot of people look to offense change. Very few people look at defense change. And uh, but Coach Chris was way ahead of the game, and uh, I, I I use that at, a, at several different schools that I was at. We used the same defense. Same defense, and then you learn so much as a defensive player. Of course, uh, we're talking with Coach Hootie Ingram on the Galloway Podcast. Coach, you're an incredible player, and I believe you still have the single-season record for interceptions at Alabama. That's correct. Talk about that and um, all the players that have come through and have played um, for years and years since, and for your record to still stand. What does that mean to you? Well, I'll I'll tell you. Excuse me. Uh, I was in a training room. I forget what year it was, probably 91 or something like that. Uh, one of the players was in getting his ankles taped, and he said it was like seven games into the season. I think he'd intercepted six passes. He said, Coach, I got your record this year. I said, no, you'll never make it. <laughs> and I said, what you got to realize, when I played, the last two weeks – They've had more passes thrown against you than they threw against me for the whole year. Mm-hmm. And I said, if you'll do the math, I intercepted 10. And if I'd be playing today, if you do the math, I'd had about 33 interceptions. <laughs> and he ended up the year intercepting seven. Okay. And, <laughs> so he fell a couple short, three and, short. But and uh, but I, I had a lot of fun with that. But uh, it was – you know, people threw eight to ten times a game. That was about it. Uh, and so it really was It was Hootie Ingram Island, I guess, <laughs> if, no, if you will. We uh, Coach Butts had the best passing attack in the conference, Wally Butts at Georgia. And uh, he had Zeke Murkowski as his quarterback, and he had Fran Targeton and uh, he had another great quarterback, but uh, it just you know, people didn't throw the ball. They, they had the Daryl Royal look on it. When you throw the pass, three things happen, two of them are bad. And, uh, <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> uh, We're talking with Coach Hootie Ingram on the Galloway Podcast. Coach, you were an athletic director at Alabama and Florida State as well, but at Alabama you were there from 1989 to 1995. Uh, kind of talk about your time as an athletic director um, and what stands out to you during those years and really what you've learned about um, the athletic program in general at the college level. <clears throat> well, it's just turned into the fact now that the athletic director needs to have a law degree. <clears throat> That's the yeah. first thing. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> uh, the other thing – Modern day times, you know, the, the sour is a little bit different than I made when I came along, <laughs> as is a lot of coaches. I know uh, when Coach Bryant came to Alabama, he made $22,000 a year. Everybody said, man, that's, that's amazing, a football coach is making that much a money. a lot of money back then. Yeah. But... Uh, it's uh, it, it's more headaches now. You, you've got uh, social media, and everybody knows more about what goes on, and uh, people may, a lot of uh, fake news, as President Trump mentioned in the athletics. I get a big kick. All these people naming the prospective coaches that Coach Saban is going to hire, and most everyone he's hired. Uh, Several of them were not even mentioned. Right. But uh, everybody had an idea who was going to hire this and that. And, and you've got to you've got to respect the media, but you got to understand how to handle yourself with the media. Uh, and that that's one thing. And of course, uh, you got uh, constantly. To keep yourself from getting lawsuits, you know, you got to watch your coaches and everything that you do. Uh, uh, the most important uh, group on the staff now is your 
your folks involved with uh, NCA sanctions and right. rules yeah, and the so compliance forth. office has made and, tremendous uh, leaps and bounds. You, you can't, uh, you, you know, you can't. Coach can't do anything unless he double checks with uh, with the people in the compliance department. Certain, uh, you got you got charts of when you can call a prospect right. and when you can visit a prospect and. There's even rules about tweeting them and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. Can only... it's, it's very, very complicated, and you, you need a good staff in that area. But uh, it's a, it's a great job. It's a very satisfying job, and it's it's just like uh, the biggest decision you got to make is trying to please all the people, which you can't do. Right, you please all the people. You're gonna damage your program. If you don't please all the people, you got to be strong enough to keep them from affecting what you do. Absolutely, it's all about keeping a balance, and uh, that's one thing that uh, Greg Byrne is is doing a great job of here at Alabama now, yeah. um, because there's so many successful programs. I mean, you look at we've got teams at Alabama competing on a championship level every season, uh, year in and year out, which has been incredible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talking with Coach Hootie Ingram on the Galloway Podcast. Coach, I want your thoughts on Jalen Hurts and his uh, during his time at Alabama and just what you saw in his performance on the field and his leadership off the field, his character, um, and then as well as his decision to go play his senior season after graduating Alabama at Oklahoma. Yeah. Well, they, they Galen, they ought to, they ought to name – each year they ought to name the Galen Hurts Award to some guy that made a great contribution to the program to improve uh, life on campus or something. Right. Uh, because he uh, he stood, he's very unselfish. He could have taken off early and, and, and then when Tua gets hurt, we got nobody. Right. But he realized that and he stayed. And uh, and I think he, you know, he's very, uh, very intelligent guy that made a good decision, I think, about where he was transferred to Oklahoma. I'm 100%, well, I'll take that back. I'm 99.9%. Against any kind of transfer, right? Uh, I do. Ex- I am too. I, I am do too. accept the graduate transfer. If the guy's got his degree and wants to leave, then I, I can handle that. But I stop right there. That's okay. it. Uh, you can't. Recruiting is is tough enough as it is. You know, getting people out of high school. But when you you got to worry about losing guys you got on your squad uh, that's not fair to the school it's not fair to the coaches and it's really not fair to the guy who wants to transfer because what he's doing he's showing uh, in 90 percent of the cases he's showing a lack of character a lack of discipline you know anytime somebody stumps a toe they want to leave you know well, that's, that's when you really make something out of yourself. When you're down and you get stepped on and mistreated or whatever, that you don't fight back and correct that. Right. And I think I think the prime example would be Kelly Bryant at Clemson, who's now will be playing for uh, Missouri in the upcoming season. He transferred after four games and decided, you know, okay, if I'm not going to play, yeah. if Trevor Lawrence is going to be the starter, I'm going to go elsewhere. Yeah. And Jalen could have done just that. And he made a statement when he played in his fifth game uh, this season after because that new transfer rule, he could play four games and transfer. Mm-hmm. So when Jalen played in that fifth game, it was huge. And I think he's just, you know, he's such a great representation of everything that the University of Alabama aspires to be, as well as the athletic program and being high character um, and then performing well and right. just being a Great representative. They ought to come up with some. That's why I say they ought to come up with some award to give it to another kid that that had his qualities. You know? I, I agree. I, I think he and Coach Saban had uh, they handled that thing just marvelous. 
way they handle it. And I think they had the deal set back in August. But every day you'd read something about uh, he's he's not going to play this week. He's not, that's the fifth game and all that stuff. But uh, it it and it. It, it paid off, too, really. Absolutely. You couldn't a, write a better ending. Won the SEC, SEC championship. It's <clears throat> one of those deals, if you make a movie like that, wouldn't anybody go to it? It's, right. it's, it's fairyland stuff, you know. And and But to watch that unfold in front of our eyes yep. um, on in the On the same stage. venue, you know, against the same team, basically. It just completely flipped the script, which we, is incredible. We, we whipped Georgia two different ways. <laughs> <laughs> one quarterback one year, another quarterback. We put them in the spin cycle. Yeah. So, uh, Coach, talk about – you mentioned Coach Saban uh, in your last answer, but uh, he has been uh, – I wouldn't say uh, – yeah, I'd say he's been put in the spotlight uh, for both good and bad reasons. But the coaching turnover has really been the story this offseason uh, because you've seen Alabama essentially – you know, clear house with the staff and replace five on-field assistants, possibly six or seven by the time it's all said and done. Talk about, um, as a former coach, just the turnover and staff, and especially now that there's 10 on-field assistants, how Coach Saban is kind of going through his process of replacing coaches that have decided to leave. Well, to me, that what he does, that tells you why he's the greatest coach we've ever had in college football because he will he will see something wrong with the program he'll do something about it uh, you don't have to go very far you, you can name what Les Miles you can name uh, Mac Brown he's back in it now but right. they both got out because they wouldn't change their systems and they weren't producing but uh, it, 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 it you need to look at it like this, that Coach Saban, by doing making the changes he makes, he's doing it what he's commissioned to do, what he's paid a big salary to do. He's doing it for the best interest of the University of Alabama. So it hurts the university and everybody if, if you lose games. And uh, he, he figured that uh, he had a situation where he need to make some changes, and he made them. Now I don't know, uh, I don't know many coaches that would do that. And it's not the fact that he's not loyal to people. Uh, it's the fact that uh, they just didn't fit in, or they're over their head. The assistant coaches are, and uh, I know some of them left because they got promoted, like Kirby and Pruitt. Going to Maryland and places like that, but uh, I would say uh, most of them understood they need to get another job because they he kind of warned them too, or they just couldn't. I think, to me, as an as an outsider looking in on the Alabama football program, I think you've got to have some type of mentality. You know that certain mentality that Saban has, and if you don't have that. You're not going to fit in. You're not going to buy into everything he's going to believe and everything that he preaches and coaches. I mean, you're, you're not going to fit in. And so I think some of those guys. Well, what, these, what the good coaches realize, whatever he believes in works. Absolutely. And Absolutely. that's the bottom line. And, uh, and you know, uh, <clears throat> it kind of is ridiculous. Some of these people criticizing coaches coming in here in a, in a auxiliary position, he's doing them a favor. And he's also helping his program. And th- these guys that are coming in, they, you know, they don't need a salary. Right. They, they got another school paying them all. Paying, yeah, Butch Jones is being paid and, to go uh, into Tennessee this year. I, I remember when I was a young coach, uh, I was with a group of guys, and one of them said, uh, <clears throat> I'm not going to go into this lecture here. That guy didn't win a game last year. And one of the other guys said, you know what? You need to go if you want to learn how to coach because you can learn from failures as well as you can winners, you know? Right. 
And so uh, that's – and these guys are not all failures. I know, I know them all personally. Uh, I don't know Butch Jones that good, but I know some of the others that are, are really good, sound football coaches. And uh, a lot of people go under a program that's impossible to win at, you know. It's just like Kirby Smart. Uh, we were I was pretty good friends with Kirby, and he he got offered over the ten years he was here. I know three jobs he was offered that he turned down, and he turned them down because he knew if he went there, he'd be a loser. Right. And uh, and that ends his career, you know. Mm-hmm. He, he he might get another assistant job before, but but, but he waited ended, and waited. But he and just he had the patience to sit and wait and wait, and he got a great school and he took that job. Who's now a top five program in the and, country uh, year so, in and year out. So it's a situation where uh, they're not all bad coaches just because they didn't win, uh, just where they were at. Then what makes, to you, what makes somebody like Scott Cochran or, or Coach Burton Burns different, you know, those guys that have been with Saban since the start and even before he was at Alabama? Um, mm-hmm. yeah, they've been here and they've been consistent. I think Kirby Smart made a push for Coach Cochran to come join him. But what makes them different in staying? Well, first of all, they know their job. And Saban knows they know their job. And... uh Saban's easy to work with if you know your job. And again, that, that goes back to the fact that he's not going to uh, put up with anybody that can't do their job. Not for just his sake, but for the school's sake. You know. But I, I don't think it's... Uh, how, many, how many coaches could turn over six coaches and go 14 and one? Right, uh, and if you talk to any knowledgeable veteran coach around the country right now, they'd be envious of the staff Saban's got this year, this upcoming year. Yeah, this upcoming year. Most recently, it's been the three sincerities. What do you have a relationship with? Uh, well, you know, just Sal is, is the only one big coach, you know. His, uh, his other two boys were the end coach, and one of them was the quarterback at Pittsburgh, and he's been coaching at some small schools. He's, you know, they just got the opportunity to get some contacts, you know, just to be around here. Uh, but, uh, you know, Sal is a good, solid coach that knows Saban and, uh, he, he, you know, uh, He'll be a good anchor coach for him. We're talking with Coach Hootie Ingram on the Galloway Podcast. Coach, uh, we've got to talk about Tua Tungavailoa and his just exceptional performance. Earlier we talked about Jalen Hurts, but Tua is an exceptional talent. He has uh, done so much for this program in the one season that he started and, of course, everything from the championship game in Atlanta uh, two seasons ago. Talk about what you've seen in Tua and what makes him special compared to the multiple quarterbacks you've seen. I mean, the hundreds of quarterbacks you've seen throughout your years. Well, he's uh, he's got a natural knack of, uh, of reading defenses, and he also uh, has got the quickest release I've ever seen, and he's uh, very accurate. Uh, he anticipates the routes. Plus, he's got five great receivers that he can throw to. Right. And uh, nobody mentions, you know, he was hurt the last couple of games of the season and then the playoff games. And, and when you got an injury, most people wouldn't have played with that injury. Cole Hunt might have. He had the same surgery. <laughs> but uh, he, uh, he, he he played hurt. And uh, when, when you throw the ball, you know, your legs are just as important as your arm. 
when when you're a quarterback. Right. And uh, but he he is. Uh, I won't rate anybody as the best ever or anything like it, but he's as about as good as I've seen. Is there anybody that you would compare him to off the top of your head? Not really. He's he's uh, his only handicap to me is his. You know, he could be a little taller would help out, but uh, it's, it's like it's two or three short quarterbacks up there right now doing pretty good, and and he'll do well too, but. Uh, uh, he, I hope his little brother's got a little bit of what he's got because he'll probably be gone next year. <laughs> right. Well, his brother, Talia Tungavailoa, has done incredible at Thompson High School the past yeah, couple of years. I saw him play several games. Yeah. He... And you, look, you just look at the lineup of quarterbacks that Alabama has. Uh, you know, for years it's been, who's going to be the quarterback? Who's going to be the quarterback? Does it have to be a game manager? And now you look at the roster and it's, You've got two Tungavailoas. You've got Mac Jones, who's who's been here for two years now, mm-hmm. um, and then you've got Paul Tyson, um, Jay Barker's son Braxton Barker is on the roster as well, mm-hmm. and so all these big name quarterbacks. Um, that and, name won't get it though. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. It's got to be got to be the on field no, performance. My, they'll have a. They'll bring in a. My opinion, next year they'll bring in probably top one or two or three quarterback in the country. I know there's one that got their eye on that probably will be here. But uh, you got to have a quarterback. Do you foresee Talia following his brother? And I, I don't. You know, I, I wouldn't predict it because you got to see what they do in this atmosphere. Right. It's 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 a daylight and dark what they're going to. It's just uh, it's no way to predict what their mental attitude is going to be and uh, how, what kind of pressure. You know, it's it's probably as much pressure on the Alabama quarterback as it is the Alabama coach. Yeah, Alabama coach, and a lot of people have said that whoever's going to be the quarterback at Alabama is. Uh, is normally a bigger name than the governor in the state of Alabama. Coach, uh, Alabama football has been in on the hot seat for their strength of schedule. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people in the media have gone after Alabama's strength of schedule and said, "Well, Alabama doesn't play anybody." Um, and it's easy to say that when you're beating teams in the regular season by 30, 25 points, whatever it is, sometimes even 40. Uh, just talk about as a coach, who you try and schedule, and an athletic director, who you try and schedule, and why it's so important to have a strong regular season schedule, and also Alabama's strength of schedule. Well, firstly, in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, secondly, uh, just pick any team, A&M, uh, LSU, Auburn, any of Why is Alabama's schedule not as tough as theirs? I can give you one reason only. Because Alabama's so much better. That's what I'd say. And so they Alabama make it... don't have to play Alabama. <laughs> in other words, yeah. Yeah. they all have to play Alabama. Mm-hmm. And the other reason is that uh, I went down the uh, schedule. I don't know if you... I've got it right here. No, I, I, not our schedule. The schedule of all the teams in the league. Mm-hmm. See, everybody plays – Bunnies. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to now. Yeah, you, Coach Saban wants to play nine conference games so you can rotate in all the stadiums over a period of four years. And that, that was uh, voted down. And uh, I told somebody the other day, you ought to bring it up now because every one of his assistants, uh, he's got a lot of votes. Right. right. Somewhere <laughs> outside, somewhere in and outside the SEC, you know, he'll. But anyhow, the uh, uh, that's if you talk about strength of schedule, uh, uh, you got the Pac-10 had uh, what did I read about them the other day? They had three 
I, I think one school, they had three five-star guys signed this year. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's not a good team in the pack then. Right, right. Uh, uh, one league can't play defense. The Big Ten is, uh, in my opinion, till Nebraska, that guy's going to build Nebraska up. But uh, Michigan and Ohio State are supposed to be carrying the Big Ten, but they not doing anything. And the ACC is a joke. Right. I mean, God, you just, in my opinion, if you got a good team, let's say you got five good teams, in the country, none of them play a tough schedule because mm-hmm. you can't play. It, Alabama can't, can't go and play Clemson, Ohio State, Michigan, and then you know well, go would, through their SEC schedule in all it, one regular season. It's uh, nobody does that. You know they don't say anything about that. It just just say Alabama's got a solid schedule, right? Well, it, and, it, and next year I'll agree. We got to we got a real easy schedule because I think we're gonna have a very good team. And uh, we don't play the opening game, which hadn't been tough anyhow. Well, mm-hmm. we played uh, who played Washington. We played uh, Florida State. Florida State. One thing that stands to, out to me about Florida State is we scheduled them when Jameis Winston was there, and we knew he'd be gone by then. Uh, but they were they were a good program for a while, yeah, and but, they were uh, ranked number three at the time. And so there's nothing you can do about you know, preseason rankings and how teams end up at the end of the season. Well, everybody we played that first game was beaten pretty easily. Right, Wisconsin and Michigan and yeah. I think back and, to 2013, uh, 14. We played Duke this year, and, you know, they're, they're probably better than some of those teams, but they got the name Duke in football by right. them. <laughs> so a lot of people right now, especially in the heat of Alabama basketball, are saying, hey, let's, let's play Duke in basketball. What are – what are your thoughts, Coach, on um, Alabama basketball right now? If, if you have followed that pretty closely this yeah, they, year, they have too many turnovers. You can't win basketball games. It's two things that they think is correct. They'd be very good. Like cut down on turnovers and make free throws. They don't do either one of them. I mean, it's it's nothing for them to have ten turnovers in a half. It's like they don't respect the ball. Right. And uh, it's, it's like and I heard an announcer, I can't remember exactly what he said. He said, you got to be quick down the court, but not too fast, you know, something to that mm-hmm. effect. And, and we just, we never get a, a how many fast breaks, uh, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? When you intercept a pass, you got two on one or three on yeah, two. Yeah, fast break layups. And we either travel or charge or throw the ball mm-hmm. away or miss a layup. And if we're trying to move, we're trying to play too fast when some athletes just not good enough to do that. But until Alabama, this particular team, and I'm, I'm this doesn't mean anything, but. Till they cut out on turnovers and start making free throws, they're not going not gonna to win. Yeah, the free throws have been the hardest part to watch, I think, because – Turnovers are hardest yeah. for me to watch. You should, you should be shooting 90% from the free throw line, it, mm-hmm. at least. Um, and obviously, nobody does that. But that's the expectation. Um, and, of course, the turnovers, is, they're just – they're tough to watch because – like you said, it's it's almost like you don't value the ball. That's that's your job. I mean, the ball mm-hmm. is like your baby. You got to mm-hmm. value it. You can't turn it over. Um, but I think Alabama's playing, you know, considerably well right now. I think they've responded well to not having Colin Sexton this season. Um, I know that was a big question for a lot of people. Now, if I had my Sexton. choice, I'd take the freshman we got over Sexton. Kyra, you you like Kyra over uh, Sexton? Yeah. He can shoot better. It's just crazy that our our best player right now is a seventeen year old who mm. should be a senior in high school. Yeah, he yeah he's a good player. So we're talking with Coach Hootie Ingram on the Galloway podcast. Before we wrap things up, Coach, um, any good stories from your playing days? I mean, anything that you want to share? Anything that stands out from your 
playing days, coaching days, or athletic director days? Mm. I don't think so. Not really. Uh, got too many. I can't remember any of them. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been a sit-down interview with former Alabama football player in the night from 1952 to 54, Coach Hootie Ingram. Uh, of course, he coached at numerous schools and was athletic director at Florida State and, of course, here at Alabama. Coach, thank you so much for your time, and I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Good, good. Thank you. Once again, thanks to Coach Ingram for allowing me the time to sit down and just kind of talk about Alabama athletics and hear some of his stories and what he has to say. I really hope you, the listener, enjoyed it. I thank you for listening. I would really appreciate any uh, feedback you had on this podcast. You can tweet me at WM underscore Galloway. I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode and what Coach Ingram had to say. Uh, Thanks again for listening. Thank you to Cole Hunt for making this possible and, of course, to Coach Ingram for being generous with his time. This has been Episode 6 of the Galloway Podcast, where there's the right way, there's the wrong way, and there's the Galloway. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.